Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. What I'm about to teach you is the reality of a new creation. The man who would walk with God must learn to trust God. I. There is no bigger or greater gift I can give you but this. To teach you how to live like this. Open your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 13. The Bible says, This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. It says, Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised. And his words are not heard. He says, words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a fool or of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Better one sinner destroys. He says, but one sinner destroys much good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you read this with me? He's talking about wisdom. He says the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. He says words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. If you learn the wisdom that I'm about to share with you in this teaching, it will save you things that numerous weapons will not save you. It would save you from things that money cannot save you from. It will save you from things that experts in this world cannot save you from. It says the poor man's wisdom is greater, is greater, is greater than the shout of ruler of fools. The book of Ecclesiastes is a summation of the body of work of somebody who came to conclusion about the world. He says the world is vanity upon vanity. All is vanity. And it's not even saying it as vanity in the sense of the word you know vanity to be, but it's like, like smoke is what it means. When you think you've achieved, you see that the things that you've achieved, you've not really achieved. So listen, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of Israel's wisdom literature. Remember I told you about the genres of Bible interpretation. Now this is wisdom literature. And the goal of wisdom literature, the characteristics of wisdom literature are as follows. Number one, wisdom literature always addresses everyday issues facing humanity and how God is revealed in them. Wisdom literature always addresses everyday issues facing humanity and how God is revealed in them. Number two, Israel's wisdom literature is rooted in a reverence for God and God is always the hero of the story. It's rooted in what? In a reverence for God. And God is always the hero of the story. Ecclesiastes is one of those wisdom literature where the writer is comparing what we face in this world to the wisdom that they have. Everything in this world is vanity unless you leave it by the wisdom of God. That's what he's saying. So the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to explain the nature of the world, which is different from how we perceive it today. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he turns under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Do you know the meaning of what he just said? 
you know, um, men of God don't watch some types of movies, but I was influenced to watch Vampire Diaries. Alright? And you see, what I realized from this story is this people live, those guys, the vampires live so long, 1000 years, and they come back to where they lived 800 years ago, and many centuries have passed. Saying, and that place is still there. Nothing changed. The, the place is just there. And what I, what, what I learned from that story is this. Generations would come and go. The earth will still be there. I, I get what I'm saying. We are almost like people passing through. For anybody who has a view of eternity, like those guys who are vampires in court, anybody, I'm not saying that they are real vampires, please. I'm just using it as an analogy. Alright? Now, in, in that analogy, anyone who has a view of eternity would see that we just come and we go. We, we just pass through the earth. For anybody who has lived a thousand years, the 80 to 100 years that you would live would just pass by. And the earth will continue. The world will continue. It says the sun also rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes to the south, it turns to the north. The wind whirls about continually. And comes again on a circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet it is not full. To the place from which the river come, they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. Did you hear that? <laughs> it says that which is done and will and what will be done, there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which may be said? See, this is new. He said, it has already been in ancient time before us. <laughs> you know, some people believe that the writer is Solomon. If Solomon is the one that wrote it, and Solomon knew that, Solomon that had that many wives and that many concubines, he now said, you know what? What will be, will be. Meaning that what you think you are looking for in pleasure, he has searched for it and he did not find it. Are you listening to what I'm saying? He has searched for it. And it was not worth the while. He said there's nothing new under the sun. He compared it to vapor or smoke. He says vanity upon vanity. We spend time on this one and he's saying it doesn't make any difference. He spoke about pleasure, wealth, career, status. And in the end, we think it will make life worth it. But he's saying in the end, we only make a small mark on the earth and go. Do you know that it's not up to 10% of the population of this world that will make any true impact on the nature of the world? Are you listening to what I'm saying? Have you ever thought about the nature of work, career? It's one thing that scared me as a child. When I was young, I was always thinking, so a time will come now in my life that I have to be going to work every day and I cannot stop unless I will suffer. Of it before that, so my time is no longer my time, so forever and ever now I have to be going to work Monday to Friday, nine to five. I, I don't know, think about it like me, I, me, I had a very wide, like active imagination as a kid. I was always thinking, How did our parents do? Do you know, I could not fathom going to work every day when I was a child. I'm like, How do I? Are you not bored? Are you not tired? Don't you just want to sleep? But now, we chase it with all we have to the point that career becomes the lives of some people. Let me tell you the funniest thing. The writer of Ecclesiastes came to a point where he described living like this. Listen to me very clearly. And he didn't say it in these words. But he came to a point where he described our life as something like this. Have you thought of it before? People will start walking at age 24 and you will probably walk I'm telling you the average human being you will walk from age 24 and you will probably walk till you are very old so majority of humanity they walk to save to rest in the future but if we are being honest many die before they can enjoy that wealth is it not scary? so you walk all your youth so you can enjoy the money and not everybody gets to actually enjoy that money that is saved. 
that you are saving for, that you are working for. And let's not like bills would come. And what you think you are saving for, you will spend it to survive. Unexpected things will happen. So then what is life? Am I, am I really getting you to think? Am I getting you to think? Then what is life? Your savings will save you, exactly. <laughs> and it will not save you many times. It will not many times. It will not. So let's be honest, life is already not fair. Are you getting this? It's already not fair. It's already not fair. Deeply about this, think deeply about what I'm saying. It's already not fair. So, how can you make life worth it? How? The writer of the says, if you seek pleasure and fame and you seek everything, it still doesn't make life worth it. It still doesn't make it. These are the thoughts that he put towards you know his audience to say life is valid. Then he says there is a way to live. And that way to live that would save you from this is to live with the wisdom and the fear of the Lord. The only way to live that would make life worth it is to live with the wisdom and the fear of the Lord. That's the only way it's going to be worth it. There is no other way that is going to be worth it except you live with the wisdom. And the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 11, it says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom, the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Do you hear that? The excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Meaning, without wisdom, every way of living ends up feeling like it's not worth it. So the way to live life for life to be worth it is to live with the wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Are you learning something? Is to live with the wisdom and the fear of the Lord. That's the only way. To live life for it to be worth it. Because when you walk in wisdom and the fear of the Lord, verse 15, it says, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. It says, there is, just, there is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. Did you hear that? There is a just man who perishes in righteousness. That is, good people die. <laughs> and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. Wicked people live long. Are you getting this? Wicked people live long. So then who are we going to ask? If you don't live with the wisdom and the fear of the Lord, then ultimately life is not going to be worth it. So he says, I know a way for you to live. And the way to live, the way to have life is to live with the wisdom and the fear of the Lord. So how do we live our lives today? And this is the question I want to answer. Or at least attempt to answer. Because there will be evil in this world. Good people will die. Good people will suffer. And wicked people sometimes will live long. Wicked people sometimes will make money. So then is life fair? And what is God doing about it? Because if you learn what I'm about to teach you, your work with God is going to skyrocket. Because there are many of you who the reason why you're not walking with the Lord is because you've not learned how to live with the fear and the wisdom of God. There's a reason why you can't give up some things for God. It's because until you come to the place where this world shows you that everything is vanity, you'll now be running to the Lord. Have you noticed? It's at old age, parents now start running to the Lord. Ah, God save us. So, there are a lot of people who don't come to church again because they believe that God has done something wrong to them by not helping them. Some are like, you know, is it, you know when as a pastor, someone will tell you, is it me that I'm trying to look for how we eat? You're telling me to be coming for five prayer meetings. How will I do that? You know, it's almost like nobody wants you to talk about church now when you talk about the things, your career. 
Ah, you get what I'm saying? Or you talk about school, or you talk about things like that. Nobody wants to hear anymore. Nobody wants to hear. So how do we live our lives today? Because listen, people will die and fall sick around you. What's your response? And how does that affect the way you consider God? And the way you anticipate when you want to pray to Him for a healing or you want to ask Him for something. Can I tell you something? It's not every exam you will pass. I, I'm not swearing. Listen, I, I'm not swearing. How do you respond? Are you listening to me? How do you, how do you respond? There are some things you can control. There are some things you cannot control. How do you respond? Because you might do your best to ensure that nothing bad happens. But the world has its own plan. Maybe let me make it more common. You might get rejected for a visa interview. You know one lady, she says she's angry with God. I said, what happened? She says she, she prayed. She applied. Why will God? You know, I don't what made it worse. Her friend got her own. She, she got rejected. And two of them started planning it together. How do you respond? And tomorrow, how can you pray again and trust God for another thing? How? How? Your friends that you studied together, they passed that exam. You failed the exam. How can you pray for God to help you tomorrow? Because you prayed for this one. How? I'm telling you, when the Lord said I should teach this, I said, God, <laughs> you want to set me up? These are questions that maybe I run away from. What God wants to do for you is that at the end of this meeting, you and God will be like this. You, you, you will prioritize the things of God over anything. God will be your, your focus, your trust. You will see Him as good, as loving, as your Father, regardless of what happens. That's what He wants to do. He wants to build in you tenacious persons. He wants to build in us a church of strong and tenacious people. You might have been searching for job for three, five years. It has not happened. But you're not going to look at God and curse God. No. You might even be tried and tested. You might lose a job, a car, a house. How do we respond to this? What should we pray for? And how involved is God in the situation? Because if you learn what I want to teach you today, you will become untouchable for the devil. That's what I'm doing. Remember, the devil wants to isolate you. He wants to twist the things around you to put you in his corner. But to learn this, you become untouchable. Learn this, you walk in purpose like never before. I get what I'm saying. Learn this, every calling of God to you for, to do certain things for him, you will be able to move with it at the speed of light. Because can I tell you something? One of the things that stops you from doing what God has called you to do is wait. Weights, things that are pulling you down. You don't know how to respond because they are weights. But the moment you drop those weights, you will run at the speed of light. You will run at the speed of light. You will run at the speed of light. You will run at the, at the speed of light. Hallelujah. So the first and most important thing I want you to learn today is from James chapter 1 and verse 13. Open your Bibles, everybody. This is a sermon you would have to listen to over and over again. James chapter 1 and verse 13. James chapter 1 and verse 13. The Bible says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Did you hear that? Let no one say he is tempted of God. He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. He says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Verse 17. He says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation no shadow of turning. Hallelujah. So the first thing I want you to learn is that God gives good gifts and every good gift comes from the Father of Light. He calls God the Father of Lights. 
It says in him there is no variableness. It does not change. Neither is there shadow of turning. Meaning God is good. He has always been good and he will forever be good. There is no evil in God. That's why he calls him the father of lights. What is the greatest source of light you know? The sun. He says he's the father of lights. He's the father of lights. He's the father of all things good. He's the father of all things pure. This is the nature of God. The problem is that a lot of us don't know what it means for God to be good. You say, God is good. He has done me well. Oh my soul. Rise up and praise the Lord. But now bad things happen to you. You've forgotten that God is good. Do you know what it means to say God is good? You say there is no variableness nor shadow of turning in Him. Yet you think it is God that caused the bad thing to happen to you. Then God is not truly good. Why? Because darkness and light cannot mix. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Darkness and light cannot mix. Where there is light, darkness dissipates. Are you getting what I'm saying? Where there is light, darkness dissipates. Have you ever seen light and darkness fight before? No! Once there is light, darkness dissipates. Maybe what is confusing a lot of people is this thing that people have seen in horoscope and movies, yin-yang, darkness and evil and good work together. It's not true. If we are to draw the full picture, it will be all white. Because darkness is only the absence of good, of, of light rather. Are you seeing what I'm saying? And so once there is light, there's no darkness. Once there is light, there's no darkness. It's not a fight. Once there is light, there's no darkness. So when you say God is good, you must believe truly that God is good. You must believe fully that God is good. You must believe wholly that God is good. It means that you are not trying to fit the goodness of God into your theology. Mm. It means that God is good already. You are not trying to change what God is because of, the, of your experiences. No. You are going to have to think about your experience with reverence to the revelation that God is good. Are you getting this? So, there are two ways to go about it. You can either see something happen to you and doubt that God is good. Maybe God is not fully good. Maybe God does evil, which is wrong. Or you can see your experience and say, because God is good, I know it's not God that caused this. <laughs> That's a different response. You can say, I know it cannot be God that causes because God is good. He has always been good. He will forever be good. So this happening to me does not change the fact that God is good. I will stand on the word of God that says God is good. I will trust on the word of God that says God is good. These are two different approaches you can take when it comes to responding to things in this world. God is good. I will never allow my heart fathom or conceive the idea or the possibility that God does evil. Never. 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 First John chapter 1 verse 5. The Bible says this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you. That God is light. There is no darkness in God. is light. There is no darkness in God. There is no darkness in God. There is no darkness in God. God is good. There is no evil in Him. And the wrong response that people have is that they try to use the experience they have to adjust their revelation of God. That's why you hear questions like, if God is good, why do bad things happen? It's because you are fitting your physical experience and trying to change the revelation of God based on that. Rather than explaining your experience first from the light of the revelation that God is good. Are you seeing what I'm saying? God is good. God is good. Does God heal? Does God favor men? Yes, he does. He heals. What if it doesn't happen? Is your disposition now different? Ah, God is good sometimes. God is good when he feels like it. God can do whatever he wants. You know, you can, have you heard that thing before? God can do whatever he wants. God is good. In him, there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. 
The book of Job is another wisdom literature. Remember the, the characteristics of wisdom literature. I like that everything I'm teaching you now, your lessons from how to interpret the Bible is <laughs> always applied in it. Alright? Now, characteristics of wisdom literature is trying to show you how God is the hero still in how to think about your everyday life seeing God as the centerpiece. How to think of it and how, how God is revealed in it. So now, we see the book of Job. And the book of Job doesn't fully answer the question, but it teaches us how to think about suffering and how to respond to suffering. And the problem is that when we read the book of Job, we don't read it like what it truly is, wisdom literature. In wisdom literature, the people are not teaching you about Christ. I listen to what I'm saying. They are not. They are not. What they are trying to do is this is Israel's experience and this is what we make of God from our experience. Right, did you understand what I just said? This is Israel's experience and this is what we make of God as a result of Israel's experience. This is how Israel's experience is consistent with the nature of God. Are you getting it? This is how Israel's experience is consistent with the nature of God. So Job chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible says there was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and shunned evil. The mistake I made the last time I tried to explain this to you was that I tried to use a word study to check if Job was righteous or not. But when you further read it, verse 6, the Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came amongst them. Now the word Satan there is talking about the accuser. I get what I'm saying. The accuser. So he came to accuse Job. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth and blameless and upright? Listen, this is where my theology was moved. My theology could not withstand this at first. Now, God says Job is righteous and is boasting about Job. Ha. And then Satan says in verse 9, Satan has a Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all the things that he has? You bless the work of his hand and his possessions have you increased in the land. So, God actually protects. Because God put a hedge on Job. And you see what I'm saying? God actually blesses the works of hand because God blessed the, 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 the works of Job's hand, protected his family. 11. It says, But now, your, it says, But now, stretch out your hand and touch all he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Do not lay your hand on his person. So Satan went before the presence of the Lord. I said, Hey, my theology is, is being slapped. Ha! Ah. Because Job is saying the only reason why, sorry, Satan is saying the only reason why Job is upright is because we are blessing him. And I tried to work my theology around it. But one thing stood out as I continued to read the book of Job. In verse 13, the Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine. It says their oldest brother in their oldest brother's house. And the messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Serbian raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and only I have escaped. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell and burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three boundaries. And by the way, when he says the fire of the Lord, he did not mean that God sent the fire. They explained inex inexplainable situations in the earth as acts of God. They, they still say it today. I get what I'm saying. They still say it today. So it could have been a lightning strike that hit a tree. I'm not saying that's exactly what it was. That caused fire. It could have been anything that caused fire that he was talking about. 
In verse 18, he says, while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your son and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you, Ha, God is good. But why did this happen? <laughs> why did this happen? Why did this happen? These are questions Job's friend were going to try to answer. But it first hits me like, hey, God. But then I noticed, God did not attack Job. God simply said, he's available at your disposal. Meaning that the devil accused Job that Job is only serving God because of the things that are around. Now I'm like, so now Satan is going to go and test this guy. And God is looking. How are we going to answer this? What is going on, God? Is this God doing evil? Or is not God doing evil? Anyways, follow the story. This is how they keep, they keep you in the storyline in movies. They will not tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> they say keep, keep up with the story. Hallelujah. Alright, let's go. Now, his friends are going to try to answer this. In the rest of the book of Job. And so through the book of Job, his friends come to try to justify God and say, God is just. God will not allow good people experience bad things. God will give good to the good and bad to the bad. So their theology, their, their, their thought process is that if you are good, good things will happen to you. If you are evil, you will get the reward of evil. So if, if God is just, and Job is upright, how can Job's suffering be explained? Because God himself said Job is blameless. Are you getting this? So how can Job's suffering be explained? And that's the same question we have today. You are studious, you are prayerful, you are spiritual, you fast. How come flood has entered your house, has destroyed your fridge? I'm, I'm giving you real life examples. So these guys decided, you know what? God cannot have done this. Job must have done something. Job must have done something. So they kept on disturbing Job. You have done something. Tell us what you did. They started coming up with hypothetical things that Job could have done for God to be punishing him. And Job kept on responding, saying, I'm innocent. I've done nothing to incur God's wrath. So through the rest of the book, his friends begin to defend God and say, No, you must have done something. You must have done something to receive this level of evil. So they came up with hypothetical things. Job must have sinned. Job, tell us the truth. Maybe you did this. Maybe you did this. In Job chapter 2 verse 9, the Bible says, His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So, Job is still speaking in integrity, with integrity here. I get what I'm saying. But there might be things in your life that will make you feel how Job's wife felt. You've been faithful. You give to the poor. You serve in church. But why are you going through this? And you would want to use your mind to understand and justify why. You shouldn't be going through what you're going through. Because many times your suffering might even be natural. Do you know what I mean? It might be natural. Simple result of being in a fallen world. Are you getting what I'm saying? Or a basic result of your own action, but we still blame God. Like the wife, you, you want to cause God and say, God, why have you done this to me? Don't blame God for anything that you could have changed with your hands. I'm going to start from here before I talk about Job's story. Don't blame God for anything you could have changed with your hands. If you work hard, you would make money. If you pray to God for money, at least give him something to work with. Are you getting what I'm saying? You are sitting in your house. You are not doing anything. You say, God, bless me. Bless me. If you say, bless the work of my hand, what is, what is your hand doing that you can bless? What? your hand doing that he can bless so at least give him something to work with that's, that's what 
you have to think about. And it's have a skill. Develop a talent. Because if he decides, if he decides that he wants to favor you, how is he going to favor you? Because if, if money just appears in your wardrobe, it's fake money. So even if God says, okay, today, I want to bless the works of your hand. You don't have works in your hand. Nothing. Nothing. No work in your hand. How, God, how will God bless it? The talent you're supposed to develop now wants to send you clients that will pay you big money. How? So, the problem is that a lot of you think about the God blessing the works of your hand like magic. Or God giving you money like magic. It will just appear, boom, in your wardrobe. You just open it. <clears> on <throat> the billion. You take, you use, you take, you use. Mm. Mm. That's not always going to work. Let me be more direct. If you pray to pass an exam, at least give God something to work with. <laughs> Do you hear At least give God something. Let something be in your brain, at least, so He can give you retentive memory. If you do not read anything, there's nothing we can do. Oh, please, can I preach? The same way we want miracle money, we want miracle exam passing. Give God something to work with. Read small so that I can help you remember what you've read. Some of you think that your lecture will just be marking the script. Just see your name, Falashade Dawudo. Just read your rubbish and say, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Hundred. That will be God cheated. God has confused. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm teaching you? Give God something to work with. Don't come and now curse God. Ah, I failed the exam. Did, did you even give God anything to work with in that exam? At least do your best. Read. Read. Write. So that. Let me give you a good example. Sometimes I believe it's the fear of God that will make a lecturer see grades and say, ah, too many people failed. I want to help them. Okay, let me add five marks overall. But you, you do not even get 45. You are 29. How is the favor of God going to help you? something to work with. I'm telling you. Yeah, this game goes on. The time is only at 51. 51. Only me, Pastor me, and Brother We are going to go and check our exam. All cause the man is brutal. That man is so brutal. <laughs> He's brutal. So we wrote the exam. Ah, I read. We read overnight. But he was not entering. We wrote the exam, so we're going to check the score. We started singing, God help us, God. But in my mind, I'm like, how is God going to help us like this? Ultimately, we got there and we saw that 51. <laughs> and me, I know that we did not get 51. <laughs> they, they added, they pushed all of us up. <laughs> they pushed us up. At least give God something to work with. And when bad things happen, don't blame God and cause God. So, if I do not fail that, if, if I do not pass that course, I'm not going to blame God. Because what, what do I want him to do? He's sovereign, but the professor has free will. Are you getting this? He has free will. He has free will. impossible for God to intervene, but it's not in the way you think God will intervene. Give him something to work with. Give him something to work with. And if you even now fail it, that does not mean you will never now pray to God to help you again if you don't pass. I'm getting this. So, don't now curse God and say, ah, God, you did me strong thing. I know they go fellowship again. You know, don't, don't now be angry. Things did not work out. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Hallelujah. So stop this attitude of blaming God. If God calls you to the ministry like the Apostle Paul, you will still be a tent maker. So you can say like the Apostle Paul, that I rejoice greatly, that at last your care for me has flourished again. Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. He says now, not that I'm speaking as regard to need. For in whatever I have learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, I know how to abase. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't now blame God. Ah, the reason why I don't have money is because the Lord called me to ministry. No. 
You know, there's a tendency to blame ministry for things that are not working out in your life. Don't blame ministry. Don't blame ministry. You say, ah, I'm not going to the but you say, Pastor, I don't think I can be consistent in fellowship again. Um, you know, my last result was not you can come for fellowship too. You still, if you did not come to you still, if you did not read, you still fail. <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to be very direct. God is not the reason for your failure. God is not. He's not. He's the reason for the good things that are happening in your life. He's not the reason for your failure. Amen. Amen. Do you know that God will not be a good God? <laughs> Let me say this. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit, for these examples. You see that statistics course? If God had allowed them to favor you and you pass it, when you come out and they give you a job now, you will do that probably statistics for the company. They will not sack you. <laughs> you see that? God did you good. By the way, you pass that thing. Everything. Ultimately, what you begin to learn is that when God does not intervene in some situations, it's not because God is evil. I get what I'm saying. God can be doing it to prevent a greater evil. Because I think it would be great evil if you graduate from school and you don't understand that course. So don't blame God. Usually, the scope is wider. Than how you are thinking about it. I, I hope you are learning something. The scope is wider than how. At the end of this meeting, never blame God for anything. So don't blame God for your sufferings. When you pray about a thing, know that God is good. His character is good, and I accept God as good. If it comes today, if it comes tomorrow, if it comes next week, God is good. I accept His character as good, and I, He would always be good. He would always be good. He would always be good. And that does not mean you not start saying, ah, no, we cannot pray for God to help us. No, you can pray for God to help you in the situation. But when you don't get the answers you are looking for in quote, don't think that God is not good because of that. Don't think that God is not good because of that. So, the friends, Elipas, Bildad, Zophar, they said you must have sinned. That's why bad things are happening. And this is a wrong mindset. To think that the measure of material possession is based on your faithfulness and you only suffer because of sin is wrong. Remember John chapter 9 verse 1. The Bible says, Now Jesus passed by. He saw a man that was blind from birth. His disciple asked him and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Are you getting what I'm saying? Jesus asked that. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Amen. Neither this man. Don't think that good things are happening to you. You know, that's the common thing in this part of the world as well. You go and evangelize to people. You say, how do you pay for it? You say, I do good and I pay for my bad. <laughs> Doing good is not the measure of the fact that good will happen to you. Are you getting this? At least in this head. So Job's friends are saying, Job repent. Job is saying, no, I did not do anything. But then Job gets to a point where he himself becomes self-righteous and starts to blame God and begins to speak wrongly. He cursed the day he was born because the suffering was a lot. I get what I'm saying. Because the suffering was a lot. He got to a point he started to speak in a different way. And then one friend comes who contradicts and exposes Job's self-righteousness. And that friend's name is Elihu, Elihu, or Elihu. Let's go to Job chapter 33 and verse 12, everybody. Bible says, look in this, you are not righteous. This is Elihu speaking. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. Did you hear that? Ah... So Job is becoming self-righteous, self-righteous, demanding an explanation of God. Why has this happened to me? The other friend that thing he must know something. Elihu says, God does not give any account of his word to you. He owes you no explanation. 
It is for God may speak in one way or another. Yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, while slumbering on their beds, he says, then he opens the ears of men and sees their instruction in order to turn man from his dead and conceal part from man. 18. He says, he keeps back his soul from the king and his life of perishing by the soul. Go to Job chapter 35, verse 1. Job chapter 35, verse 1. Job chapter 35, verse 1. The Bible says in Job 35, verse 1, it says, Moreover, anyone answered and said, Do you think this is right? Do you think my righteousness is more than God's? Did you see? He's correcting Job. Because Job is, I have not done anything. Why should this be happening to me? This is like you. You are saying, I prayed, I fasted, I saved you, I've given my life. Now you are letting this happen to me. Anyone is saying, For you say, What advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I have sinned? I will answer you, your companion and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds. They are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if your transgressions multiply, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you, and your righteousness is son of man. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry out for help because of the arm of the, might, of the mighty. But no one says, where is my God, my maker? God gives song in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heaven. I get what I'm saying. Anyways, you know, in verse 16, it says, Therefore, Job opens mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. He was calling the things Job was saying foolish. Why will you speak against God because you are suffering? Here's what Elihu has to say about God finally. Job 36 verse 5. So, a good Bible student will decide to read the, 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 the whole of the book of Job. Right? Because I've broken it down to you. Now, Job 36 5 says, Behold, God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He says, he does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings, for he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. And if they are bound in fetters, held in cords of affliction, he tells them their works and transgressions, that they are acted defiantly. He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. He is saying that God is good, and he is just. In verse 36, verse 24, God is now responding to Job. Finally. Because Job is like, God respond to me. So in the wild wind, God decides to respond to Job. And he says, okay, no, this is not God responding to Job. This is Eli declaring who God is in Job 36, 5. He says, behold, God is mighty. Oh, I read 36, 5 to you. So let's read 36, 24. Job 36, 24. He's declaring again that God is great. He says, remember to magnify his work. Of which men song, everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. For he draws he draws drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist, which the cloud drop and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? The thunder from his canopy. Look, he scatters light upon it and covers the deep sea. What he's trying to say is that God is too great for you to be questioning his ways. God is too great for you to be questioning his ways. He's good. He has no business punishing you or doing evil to you. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? He has no business doing evil to you. He's great. Then God responds in Job chapter 38 and verse 1. He says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Hi. Such a heavy word. He says, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And I want you to think of the things that God is asking Job. He says, Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Did you hear that? It says, who determines his measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? 
So what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all of the sons of God shouted for joy, who shot, who, or who shot in the sea with doors, when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the cloud its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it, and set bars and doors, when I said, This far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? That, that's such a heavy question for God to ask you. In your life, that's what he's telling me. Have you commanded the morning? <laughs> I love Maria. This, this should get you thinking. This should get you thinking. Say, have you commanded the morning? Have you commanded the morning? Hallelujah. It says, and cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked shaking out of it. It says, it takes on form of clay under a seal, and stands out like a garment. It says, from the wicked their light is withheld. And the oppressed arm is broken. Have you entered? Have you entered the spring of seas? Have you walked in search of the depths? Have you have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breath of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? You know the reason why it's this poetic is because you know it is it's, it's, it's Israel's wisdom. So they communicated it in a series of, of poetic speaking. I get what I'm saying. But ultimately, God is asking Job, <laughs> who are you to question me in quotes? Because you think that you know my ways and you know who I am, but if you truly knew who I am and the things I do, you will not be saying the things you are saying. Your mind is too small to comprehend what goes on in the world. Now, God did not give Job an answer to the reason why he was experiencing what he was, he was experiencing. This is something you have to see. God does not owe you an answer in that sense. Someone might be like, answer, ah, is that right? I'm telling you what the Lord is telling, is telling Job. That's what he's telling Job. Because God has to look out for everyone and everything in the world. So, a small infinitesimal mind cannot fathom the amount of decisions that God has to make every day. Are you getting this? We cannot. Let me ask you a question. When two football clubs are playing and both sides are praying, God let my club win, whose prayer is God going to answer? Did you hear what I said? Whose prayer is God going to answer? Whose prayer is God going to answer? You are praying, I want a car, I want a car. And God has foreseen an evil that comes with it, so he delays the good. Ultimately for your good. But you say God is evil. He didn't give me a car when I wanted a car. Do you see how small our thinking can be in the scope of the decisions that God has to make every day? Uh, very small. Very small. Please, are you learning something? I hope you are. He has to look after everyone and everything. God is ultimately saying to Job, you must learn to trust me. God is saying to you, you must learn to trust me. You must learn to trust my decisions. You must learn to trust my ways. You must learn. So in Job 42.1, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You will ask who is this who hides counsel without knowledge. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. I did not know. Did you hear Job's repentance? I did not know. God is saying, Can you trust that regardless of what happens to you, I have your best interest at heart? 
the Catholic community, can you trust? Can you trust that regardless of what happens, I have your best interest at heart? For those of you who have lost people you love, can you trust that regardless of what has happened, God has good that he does and he's no author of evil? Can you trust that regardless of what you've asked for and you've not gotten, God has your best interest at heart. Ultimately in this story, God does not tell Job why he went through what he went through. And the book of Job does not give you the answer to the problem of evil in this world. But what it says is that you should trust that God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. My experience will not change my conviction that God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. God is good. But what he says in the book of Job is trust that God is good. What we know is that the suffering ultimately left Job better than before it came. That's what we know. We know that ultimately Job was better. God restored to him. But God did not just restore to him in material things. There would never be a time that bad things will happen to Job and Job will ever doubt the Lord. Now that is a lesson on how to trust God. Lesson on how to trust God. Now Job has learned to trust God more. Now Job has seen his self-righteous ways and he has repented. Are you getting this? And he has repented as in, he has repented. Let me address the elephant in the room. Because in the same vein that God heals people. There are still those little ones that are comers in your mind. There are comas in your mind. We believe in the supernatural. We will never stop. Just a few days ago on this meeting, I, I spoke and we prayed about people to be healed and we saw many miracles. You remember? Somebody who had something that's been disturbing her for over three years, he got healed in this meeting. Someone had a hand condition and got to the hospital, he did not stop. In this meeting, it stopped. But let's address the elephant in the room. In the same vein, there is that one that 2% out of the 100 that you're still like, why did God not do this one? Am I speaking? Am I, am I speaking of your mind? Why did God not do this one? Or, or why was this one delayed? There's still that elephant in your room and it's bothering you. It's affecting the way you can trust God for good things. It's the, there's still that, 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 that elephant in the room. But you see, the first problem is your theology about healing. The average African knows the history of miracle ministries. But the problem is that the lack of proper training in theology has allowed people to be hungry for the bread that God gives, not the bread that he is. Are you listening to me? That's the problem. So, we go and everything we're looking for in church is healing and miracles. If we say this is a miracle meeting now, it will reach 150. Because everybody's looking for something from God. They've not learned to come to God as their Lord. Are you getting what I'm saying? They've not come to, they've not learned to come to God as their Lord. So a miracle service is to be filled. You say teaching meeting, people will reduce. People have seen church like a herbalist center or compared church to a voodoo station. So you go because you want something. And that is the problem. We've seen healings and miracles as something to look forward to church for only financial breakthrough, something to receive. That's what you're looking for in church. But you must realize, number one, healing comes from the goodness of God. Number one. Number two, miracles, healing, they come from the authority that Christ has given to man. And ultimately, they have a pointer to salvation. Did you hear what I said? Number one, miracles come as a result of the goodness of God. God doesn't want you to suffer. Number two, as an expression of Christ's authority, which he has given to the believer. And number three, to point us to ultimately look at God, the provider of the healing. To look at salvation, which he provides. Are you getting what I'm saying? So people want to eat the bread that Jesus is giving them and multiplying it. 
But now he says it's not about the bread. The bread is to point you to bread that I have, that I am, which is eternal life. That's what I really want to give you. It's not about the miracles. It, many people are short-sighted that they want what can last them today rather than receive something that can last them for eternity. I believe that the things I'm saying will change people's lives. Totally. 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 So the Bible says that you should covet the best gifts. What are the best gifts? Those are the gifts expressed out of love in your heart. In 1 Corinthians 14, 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge. It says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting, be, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? It says that express the gifts today. Don't come behind as we wait for Jesus. Why is he saying that, that, that we should express the gifts while we wait for Jesus? Because when Jesus comes, there will be no need for the gifts of the Spirit. I've taught you this before. When Jesus comes, there will be no need. Because healing is only a foretaste of the fact that we will receive a new body. And you will never be sick again. So, the problem is that a lot of you want to receive healing in this life, but you are not interested in understanding that God wants to give you a new body. You, you, you are taking the shadow without thinking about the real thing. Hey, are you learning something? So, healing is not the main thing. It's not the main thing. It's a foretaste. Word of knowledge is a foretaste of supernatural insight that will come. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? So don't forget, healing will not save mankind. The person that receives a healing today will still die tomorrow. Am I breaking something? The person that receives a healing today will still die tomorrow. The only thing that can save the person is, is salvation, is the gospel. That is the true healing. Because that's the only thing that would make you live forever. So can I tell you something? Receiving a healing without being healed in your soul is worthless. It's worthless. It's worthless. Healing will never replace the fact that the consequences of sin is death. But we who have been saved, even when we see physical death, it is only temporary because we've received the life of Christ. And so even in Jesus' time, people died around him and he did not try to raise them all. But all that were brought to Jesus, listen on, all that were brought to Jesus, they were healed. But there were some also who were familiar, too familiar, they didn't get healed. Not because Jesus did not have the power, but because of their faith. Yet again, there was a time the disciples wanted to cast out the devil. And Jesus said, this goeth only by what? By prayer and fasting. This means there are some things that must be present for a miracle to happen. First and foremost, the will of God. The sovereignty of God. The goodness of God. It always superimposes everything. Meaning it does not matter if you have faith or you do not have faith. If God wants to do it in your life, it will happen. I get what I'm saying. That's number one. Number two, these other things that I mentioned. They, they, they have to be present for the supernatural to happen. Sometimes a person might not have faith, but just because of the will of God, it will superimpose and the person will get the healing. Are you getting this? But sometimes you can ask for a healing and it is delayed. You must also remember that there are many things that are working in that time we might never know while we are alive why some people never got healed but we will trust that god is good are you with me some things is when we see jesus who asking why but that will never change our mindset from the fact that god is good and is always willing to heal the exceptions will not form our theology and affect the way we think about god and say god does not heal no those are exceptions how about the many that were healed that were healed. How about them? How about them? Sometimes God delays it, but it still comes true. Many people don't remember that God still came through in the matter. Papa Kenneth again prayed for a woman every day for over 300 days. 
One day he was in church, he just came to meet him, said, I'm healed. <laughs> Some of you would have been saying, Ah, is there a God? Sometimes you must be tenacious. Sometimes, rather than only looking for your answer, listen to what God has to say about it. Listen to what God has to say about it. The ultimate goal of this teaching is to show you that God is good. God is good. We do not have all the answers on this earth, and we may not ever, but we believe that even when we don't see it, you are walking. Even when we don't feel it, you are walking. You never stop. You never stop. You never stop walking. You are not causing evil in our life. You are causing good. And we might go, be going through the toughest times we've ever gone through lately. But you did not stop walking. And we know you did not stop walking. And we know you will not stop walking. We know you will not stop walking. Things might be tough. But we know you will not stop walking. We know. We know, we know. Though God does not withhold good things from his children in that way. No, not in that way. Not in that way. The best way you can live this life is with wisdom. My friend said something I'm going to begin to wrap up with. He said, The devil can do you good. Ultimately, because he wants to cause you evil. But God will never cause you evil. He can delay good to ultimately you know, make things better for you for ultimate good, but he will never do evil. Are you getting this? He will never do evil. He will never do evil. He will never do evil. God is good. God is good. I want you to turn it to prayer. I believe that God is good. In whatever I'm going through, God is good. On your minds, begin to pray. In whatever I'm going through, God is good. I trust you. I still trust you for healing. I still trust you for healing. You are good. I still trust you. Even in the tough situation, you are good. Begin to pray wherever you are. 